RadioInfluence.com. We are back for the midweek edition of the MMA Report Podcast. I am Jason Foy. That is Daniel Galvan. It is Wednesday, April the 12th, 2023. Record this show here uh, early on here on Wednesday afternoon. And maybe the most comical thing was a little while ago, Daniel just goes to me, hey, we should thank Jake Paul and Nate Diaz for just announcing this fight before we record the pod as opposed to it happening after we record. Yeah, it's so great because often we'll record and some big news will happen and that could still happen. Like as soon as we're done recording, they'll probably announce that Francis has officially signed with one FC and, and he's taking on, uh, uh, I don't know, Gabriel Gonzaga, but it's great to talk about the big news of the day as it happens, hot off the presses, Diaz, Jake Paul. I think the most interesting thing about this matchup is something you pointed out to me. And and it's the fact that, Jake Paul now finds himself on a different platform for his boxing career. That is very interesting. It's the third time, and it's not something I think people think about right away. But I think it's a very, very intriguing point you make. Yeah, it's something that just kind of came up in my thought process of as I was taking this thing in, I was like, man, you know, he goes from Showtime pay-per-view so you had the one pay-per-view against Tommy Fury and ESPN Plus. Now you're over to the zone. It kind of, you know, I mean, I don't think, you know, I'm sure there are boxing purists that do not want to admit that Jake Paul is one of the biggest names in boxing. He may, you know, I, I think that if you sit there and said, I think a lot of people probably say Canelo Alvarez is, is the biggest name in boxing. You know, maybe you throw in a Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, um, you know, Terrence Crawford, you know, throwing out some names out there. But Jake Paul is in that. And I don't know how many of the boxing purists want to admit that, but it's just kind of interesting to kind of see him going from different, you know, streaming television providers now over to the zone. Of course, it's going to be August 5th in Dallas at the American Airline Center. And uh, it's going to be a 185-pound matchup, eight rounds. And, uh, you know, the thing that stuck out to me when I got this press release, and I just, I'm just i just going to phrase this in this way. By the way, welcome to the podcast. We are presented by Sunday Long Care. We're going to talk about the offer Sunday has for the MMA Report podcast listener here in, in a little bit. But do you think this was truly a Nate Diaz quote that was transcribed by a PR person? Or do you think a PR person wrote this quote? Quote, besides Canelo, he's the biggest thing in boxing. I'm here to conquer that. I'm the king of combat sports, and then I'm headed back to, to get my UFC belt, said Diaz. I fucked up Connor for acting out, and now here I am again, like a superhero of the real fight game, the king of the real fight game. End quote. I think him saying I fucked up Connor for acting out is probably the one part that he actually said. I think, uh, <laughs> you know, I've never heard Nate Diaz ever say the word conquer. I don't know (laughs) if Nate Diaz is saying the word conquer in daily life, but yes, this really does feel like um, a quote that is ghost written, uh, like like an autobiography. But uh, yeah, that first part of the quote, besides Canelo, he's the biggest thing in boxing. I don't don't see Nate saying that, my man. I, I really, I've listened to a lot of Nate Diaz interviews. I love the dude. That's just not how he talks. And the thing is, he's a quote machine. You, he, he, he'll give you a great quote, but I'm sure he wasn't bothered. You know, I'm sure he was – I don't know what he was doing today, maybe a triathlon, triathlon or hanging out with the friends, doing some training, some sparring, but 
I feel like Nate probably just couldn't be bothered to, to give a quote. And so the uh, poor PR person had to put it together. And uh, I think they um, failed in, in writing Nate Diaz's voice. I'm just telling you, man, I think it'd be hella fun to hang out with Nate Diaz for a day. It would be fun. Just hope you don't have a drug test the day after, but it would absolutely be fun. And honestly, I don't know if I could hang with Nate for that long. I feel like uh, I, I'm, um, I would get smoked out of the joint. You know, it would be like hanging with Snoop Dogg or Willie Nelson. It'd be fun for a little bit, but after four to five hours, you're like, I think I need to go to a hospital because I am now 87% THC. I would be scared to smoke a Snoop. I'm, I ain't going to lie. I, that would be a bucket list item. But man, I can only imagine the stuff he's got. Oh, you got to be a certain type of high to have the confidence to call an audible in a professional wrestling ring at WrestleMania. That is a certain type of high, a certain type of confidence. And I don't know if um, Snoop has been uh, like not high since 1992. I think he's been up in the clouds since then. And well, he, you know, it, it works for him. I mean, he is still in his prime in his his old age, you know, and and you don't think of Snoop as an old guy, but God, how old is Snoop? Let me see. Snoop Dogg is, I want to say, I'm going to guess he's, he's 51. He's not as old as I thought. I was going to guess like 60, which is not the case, but I, I I was thinking early fifties. Cause I mean, I mean, look, I, I grew up listening to Snoop. I'm four, I'm 41 years old. Yeah, I'm 41 yeah. years old. I had to think. I had to th- look, Daniel. It gets to a certain point in your life. You have to really start. I start going. Okay, I was born in '81. It's 2023. I haven't had my birthday yet this year. <laughs> that yeah, that's well, kind of the way I have to figure out what, how old I am. It's not great. Like once you hit 25, and you don't feel good for every year you add on, right? It's it's not like oh, I can't wait to vote. Oh, I can't wait to drink legally. I can't wait to you know. There's nothing more to look forward to other than your you know, body falling apart or your hairline receding, you know, like I'm out of the shower and I'm like, is that a bald spot? And I'm like, geez, I'm just not going to look at it and pretend it's not happening. But yeah, it, it, we are at, I mean, once you get past 25, you, you, you don't like aging, right? It's just, it's just not great. You know, a few people uh, love aging. I mean, Randy Couture, I think has aged gracefully, you know, he's uh 45 years old in the prime of his life and maybe that's where we'll find ourselves jason you know we we got roy jones jr in his 50s still boxing granted losing but nevertheless look i i i think that in terms of sports in general we're going to see athletes compete longer than we have been accustomed to and i think that is a correlation to sports science uh, of where sports science is going i mean yes we've seen in combat sports where you know fighters do tend to fight later on life and i think a lot of that is probably financially driven you know because of where especially in mma where the money was mma 10 years ago or 15 years ago to where it is now i mean look it should be way more than what it is but we we know that is Uh, i mentioned in this quote from uh jake paul what the problem child had to say he said, quote, my last fight didn't end the way I wanted, but the result was the best thing that could have happened to my professional boxing aspirations. Now the world thinks I'm vulnerable when am I is more when I'm more focused than ever. My team wanted me to take an easy fight like KSI next, but that's not how I am built. Nate Diaz is considered one of the most badass fighters of all time, but he and his team have been running their mouths for too long. People tell Nate, people tell me Nate has been training with Andre Ward for years, that he has insane stamina. 
that he refuses to go back down. Good for fucking Nate. I haven't forgotten about that slapback stage in Atlanta on August 5th. A problem child is coming to piece up and knock out the Stockton G. Now, like, I feel like that was probably transcribed correctly from Jake Paul. Yeah. And and who knows? Maybe Jake Paul wrote Nate Diaz's quote, right? He's, he's an entrepreneur. He's a businessman. And and really, he's a businessman that is a boxer. It's, it's not the other way around. Jake Paul has used boxing as a vehicle to put more money in his bank account. That's the one thing him and his brother do really good, putting money in their bank account. I mean, who knows? Maybe one day they'll be head honchos in Endeavor because like the people in Endeavor, they know how to get that green. And uh, Jake knows he's got a good story here. These two fellas are going to sell a fight. Wouldn't be surprised if this is the biggest payday in Nate Diaz's entire career. Jake coming off that loss to, to Tommy, I think, hurts him a little bit. He doesn't have that. Nate doesn't have the opportunity to do what I think got people excited for whenever Ben Askren and Tyron Woodley were fighting Jake mm-hmm. Paul. And that was give him his first real embarrassment or his first real loss, his first blemish. Expose him. Be like, hey, you're not a real boxer. Nate doesn't really have that opportunity. The fight against Tommy was a close loss. So it's not like he got completely embarrassed out there. But, you know, I, I still do think this will be a big fight. I, I do think this will be a bigger fight than Jake and Ben and Jake and Tyron. Tyron, the first and the second one. I, I do think it will be that big. And I guess my question is, when these two fight, man, what do you think is going to happen? You think you think Nate's going to win? You think Jake's going to win? Is is Jake now on the MMA tour again? Is he going to take out Nate? And is he going to go after Jorge Masvidal? I, I would pick Jake Paul to win, and I think the thing that I, I look to more than anything else is the power and the fact of, you know, you're talking about this at 185 pounds. Um, you know, obviously Nate has, for most of his career, fought 155, most recently fighting at 170. I, I don't think at any stretch of my imagination do I think Nate's going to make 155 anytime soon. Um, you know, I, I just wonder about how much the size difference of Jake. I mean, like anyone who's seen Jake Paul, Jake Paul is not a small dude. I mean, he is a, he's big, he's a big man. I mean, and he's probably going to be cutting to get to 185 pounds my guess is jake probably walks around over 200 pounds that'd be my guess so he's going to cut down on this one so to me um i mean look if this if you tell me this thing can get to to the eighth round that's probably nate diaz's best chance as long as fight goes but i just feel like that early on in that fight that power that jake does possess i mean you that's the thing you can't say i mean you know whether you you love hate or indifferent to jake paul the one thing you do have to admit i mean like look like We've seen him flatline dudes. Like that highlight of his knockout, Tyron Woodley, is a devastating knockout. Yeah. Yeah. He does have great power. Going back to his first fight against Nate Robinson. And I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, he's just put in the time with the serious boxing training. And I know Tommy isn't necessarily a world champion, but he handled himself well against a legitimate boxer with a pedigree and a namesake. With Nate, he obviously is a great striker. He, he's put in the time with Andre Ward, but I really do think there's just a different ball game between just solely focusing on the sport of boxing versus getting some boxing training while you're a mixed martial artist. And I think it's kind of going to show. So you're right. And then also, in addition to the power, Jake does have the athleticism advantage. I think it's going to be a good fight. I think Nate's going to antagonize Jake. It, the thing about Nate is – there isn't a long history of him going down via knockout from P- 
people inside a cage with four ounce gloves. He is a tough SOB. Uh, I, I definitely do think the one major advantage he's going to have is the cardio. I mean, the man never gets gassed and he's got a phenomenal heart. I just think he's not going to be able to finish Jake Paul in this fight. And if he comes in and wins round seven and eight, it's just going to be too little too late. But Again, hats off to Nate. Maybe he's going to prove me wrong. He, he said he wouldn't mind boxing Canelo Alvarez. I think he may have smoked a little too much before he said that. But, you know, maybe maybe I'm wrong and, and he is, you know, the best boxer on the planet. I, I doubt it, but we'll see. And, I, and I'm excited for the fight. And I'm honestly more excited for the pre-fight hype than the fight itself because I do think these two fellows are going to really sell it in the pre-fight press conferences and in the different situations that pop up before this fight takes place in Dallas. You know, of course, the, the I think their aspect of this is, I mean, let's say Nate wins. And whenever McGregor versus Chandler happens, I'm, you know, I, I would think September, October is probably in the neighborhood when that fight's going to happen. Um, if Connor beats Chandler, then if you're the UFC, you I would have to think that Endeavor would say, we just got to figure out how to make that fight happen because when you talk about big fights the UFC could put on, whether it's late 2023, early 2024, I don't know outside of, say, a Jones and Ghana, which pretty much Dana White has pretty much put the, the squash on that one, that Francis Ngannou never be in the UFC again, I don't think there is a bigger money fight the UFC could make right now than Nate versus Connor. Man, that's a good question. I, I think the only other fights that will be comparable is Connor in other matchups, realistically. And I, I don't think there's another matchup that pops more than Connor and Nate, too. I mean, uh, Connor and Connor fighting for a championship belt would be huge, obviously. But I definitely don't think the champions have the name value in Nate Diaz and the history of business success that we have seen with Nate and, and Connor. So I, I agree with you, but I also feel like the UFC's probably, and, and Connor himself is going to really advocate for getting a championship fight. If he wins, I think that's just going to be front and center for his priorities it is not the Nate fight, but fighting for a championship, probably fighting Leon Edwards. I had to guess which weight class the fight happens at, but yeah, I, I think for Connor, he's probably just going to, chomp at the bit for that championship fight but still it, it feels inevitable that they're going to collide again inside the cage there's just too much money left on the table and it's the same reason why i still believe at some point we'll see jones and Nganu. obviously not anytime soon wouldn't be shocked if he announces a a deal with another promotion but time heals all wounds and in the mma world the best medicine to healing wounds is is not medicine at all. It's it's a bunch of dollar bills, and, oh. and that's what Francis and Jones uh, provides. Yeah, no question about it. Now, prior to this news of Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz coming out, the main topic of this show was going to be iconic moments in MMA history, and I feel that we had an iconic moment this past weekend at UFC 287 with Izzy knocking out Alex Bahia in the manner that he did. Uh, some of the the photos that the UFC photographers got of you know the the ending sequence was just absolutely amazing. Uh, hopefully, those photographers got a little little bonus in their paycheck because they did a great job of, of kind of showing that moment. Because like, and so we were, we were going to talk about like you know all the the great champions 
in MMA history, these iconic moments that they've had. And like prior to last Saturday, Daniel, I don't know if there was an uh, iconic moment for Izzy. I mean, maybe you could say it was the Whitaker knockout, you know, to, to claim the, the UFC middleweight title the first time. But like this one felt like this was the Izzy iconic moment. You know, and the, and like and when I think about other fighters' iconic moments, the one that I'll start with, I'll go to Anderson Silva. The front kick knockout of Vitor Belfort. That that is a a sequence that you're going to see on UFC highlight reels for years to come. That that sequence is never going away. Yeah, I, I certainly think that's probably the moment. And and again, we're talking about what is the most iconic moment in a particular fighter's career, right? Like when Izzy got that knockout over Alex, I was like, dude, this is the greatest moment in his career. I don't know what he's gonna do next. He could win four more. Oh damn, I just had a break. I had a Random epiphany. Izzy and John Jones is probably another big time fight that the UFC could do that would rival Connor and Nate. But anyways, I, I digress. Uh, with Izzy, the win over Alex was so dynamic and, and so highlight real worthy to go along with the story that Alex had beat him three times. It's something we're going to think about when he retires. So when you look at Anderson Silva, I think when you think of the iconic moments of, of a guy's career, it really comes down to when you say his name, what's the very first thing that comes to your mind? And honest to God, it is the front kick knockout. I, I, I do think that's the case. I think when you look at Anderson's career, he has a lot of great highlights. I think beating Rich Franklin with the tight clinch is an early highlight that a lot of people remember. But I would say the runner-up and it is similar to the Alex fight in that it tells a story. And it's when he fought Chael Sonnen, was losing the fight, and locked on the triangle choke. Yeah. Similar to the way I when when Izzy knocked out Alex, I'm like, I'm never gonna forget where I was right now. And honestly, I have stronger memories of where I was when Anderson got that triangle choke than when he got the front kick knockout. So those would be the two heavy hitters, but I'm gonna agree with you and say Anderson's most iconic moment was the front kick knockout over Vitor. You know, when I think, and you bring up a really interesting point there, you talk about these iconic moments for us as fight fans. And I actually wrote down, I didn't know you were going to go this route, but I, I think of, for me, iconic moments of whether, of where I was at or if I was at the fight. And there's three moments that stick out to me. One I've talked about is UFC 71, Rampage and Liddell being at a bar, and this was the height of Chuck Liddell. I mean, Chuck Liddell was, I mean, not Conor McGregor, but that type of level of superstar, and when Rampage knocked him out, you could have heard a pin drop in this place. I mean... It, it went dead silence. And, and so, like, that's going to be a memory for me I always forget. Two other memories for me are two memories where I was cage side at Bellator. One is Bellator 90 when Emmanuel Newton knocked out King Mo just outside of Salt Lake City. And once again, another thing where I felt like you could have heard a pin drop at that moment when he landed that spinning back fist and knocked out King Mo. The other one for me is Bellator 120. And it was not just the ending result, but it was the Tito Ortiz walkout. And I remember I was sitting next to uh, Luke Thomas and Matt Erickson, and we all kind of had this, like, Tito's still a star. Like, the way people react to him, and then, of course, you know, he submits Shilmanko. 
does the grave digger. It's one, it's one of those memories in MMA I'll never forget. It, it was just, it was just that. It, I think I don't know how well it portrayed on TV, but in the arena, it was an insane moment. Yeah, that's a, those are good ones. The ones where you're in attendance and it just it's it's crazy. And yeah, when you said Emmanuel King Mo, I immediately thought of the spinning back fits. I think honestly. A lot of times with these iconic moments, it's finish related. It, it's a brutal knockout more often than not. Obviously, for for Doom, his most iconic moment was a submission. It's rarely a decision, but I would posit to you that the most iconic moment in Bellator history is a decision. I, I would say the most iconic moment in Bellator history is still Eddie Alvarez and Michael Chandler's fight. I think when I think of the number one moment in that promotion's history, that is it. It's that fight. It was that spectacular, and it featured two of the most important fighters in that promotion's history. And you talk about moments where you know where you're at. That's one of those few fights. Their first matchup, I know exactly where I was at. I was in Appleton, Wisconsin, because we were playing the Packers the next day. I was sitting in my hotel, watched that fight, and then if you remember, that was the same night as uh, Shogun and uh, Henderson. Yeah, it was. It was. You had two of the greatest mixed martial arts fights of all time in one night. How crazy was that? It, it was, dude. It, it was phenomenal. That was twelve years ago. Yeah, that is depressing to think about. It really is. <laughs> Which you know, yeah, that just makes me really sad. But hey, you know, Chandler's still out there competing. Uh, I guess as is pretty much all those dudes, except for. Um, Shogun is now retired and Hendo is too, but you never know. Uh, <laughs> you never know. You know, the one guy who I struggle with the most, and it's kind of related to the idea of decisions aren't super memorable. George St. Pierre had a lot of decision wins, a lot of decision wins, a lot of big fights. Where did you come at? Where, what did you think was GSP's most iconic moment? That was the hardest one for me. Like I, I literally, you know, I got, I'm gonna pull it up right now because this is what I was doing earlier today. It was I was looking at GSP's Wikipedia page and I was like, man, what is that iconic moment? Like there, there's that that moment where in his post fight interviews on his hands and knees asking for the title shot. Uh, I think about regaining the title when he defeated Matt. Uh, it was a unification bout against Matt Sarah at UFC 83. That one sticks out to me. I mean, the BJ Penn fight at UFC 94, just because of how much buzz there was for that fight at that time, I think, you know, if you were a fan of mixed martial arts at that time, you kind of know what I mean. But, like, the, the and then I, I mean, but there's not like that, I don't know, I just feel like there's not that one true moment that sticks out above all else with GSP. Yeah, I mean, with GSP, realistically the most iconic moment of his career is his loss the the first thing you think of when you when i say the name of gsp is honestly you'd be lying if you didn't say it was matt sarah knocking him out that is sadly maybe his most iconic moment but i would say there's two um one is in the prime of his career i i think you can pick either of the matt hughes wins i would say the rematch uh, with matt hughes uh, when he got the submission it's not a fight I saw live. It's something I, I saw on tape. But I think when you look at his career, what was his most impressive championship win? That might be it. And then, funny enough, you know, his last fight, you know, coming out of retirement, 
fighting Michael Bisping for the middleweight championship and capping it off with the rear naked choke. It was a great visual. And, and so I think those are the two fights. The biggest fight he was ever a part of was probably the fight you mentioned with BJ Penn at uh, UFC uh, 94. That was probably his biggest fight. But I, I would say the Matt Hughes rematch would be his most iconic moment. The other one that I will tell you I struggled with was Fatal. Yeah, yeah. What what what'd you come? What'd you uh, what'd you come down? I to? mean, my thing with Fedor is like it's you have to to me you have to go back to Pride because like if I'm thinking post Pride, probably the biggest memory for me, um, it, it might. I mean, I could I could point to some of those uh you know, those fights there. Uh, in strike force, um, you know, maybe particularly maybe the Andre Arlovsky fight when he knocked him out again in, in the corner. Um, I, I was like, affliction, excuse me. Um, but I feel like you might have to go back. To, I, I, I feel like for the iconic moments of Fedor, it's just it's that run in pride. I mean, it's a I mean, look, it was a long time ago, but it's an insane run that he went on. Yeah, yeah. I think for me personally, when it comes to Fedor fights, I watch live. Look, his most iconic moment, similar to GSP. It's probably him losing to Verdun. Number two is the fight you mentioned. The first fight I think of when I think of Fedor fights I saw live was when he knocked out Arlovsky. When I think Arlovsky is going for like a flying knee. I just remember Fedor caught him in midair and it was crazy. But when I look at fights that I didn't see live and I look at his career, I come down to two of those pride fights. I think it's either the, the win over Antonio Nogueira in 2003 when they first fought but my final answer has got to be the fight that's was marketed as the fight of the decade and it's him versus Mirko Krokop in 2005 I mean it was a much hyped about fight it's a fight that they thought was going to happen in the Grand Prix but Mirko lost it got upset and the fight still happened it was a awesome back and forth fight and it was a night that really, really kind of continued the coronation of Fedor as the greatest uh, heavyweight of all time and maybe the greatest fighter of all time. He'd already racked up some great wins over Nogueira a couple times. But I would say Fedor's most iconic moment is winning that fight in 2005 against Mirko Krokop. Now, looking at some of the other fighters on my list, uh, the next fighter on my list that we've not talked about is John Jones, and there's two memories that come up to me. One is him defeating Shogun to win the title. The second one is how he submitted Leo Machida and just dropped him like a ton of bricks. Those are my two. Those are my two. Also, those are the first two I think of, bro. Um, and, and and now I think you have to add the Cyril Gon win into that equation. I mean, that was just that like, was crazy. I, like I, but I'm thinking like if you had like a, a you were gonna put up a wall of iconic moments and pictures in your house. I feel like for John Jones, it's got to be the Machida one. Just yes. th- how that ended in, yeah, with Machida just on his belly. Yeah, I, I, I would say, honestly, if I had to give you an answer for number one, it's the win over Machida. It just is. And Machida had a mystique about him. And, and yes, the win over Shogun has the bonus points of being the fight where he won the championship, I believe. But what, when, when we're talking about gut instinct here, and I've watched pretty much every John Jones UFC fight live, and the very first fight I think of is the Leota win. It, it just is visually – 
it's right there. And the fact that that was one of the top two you mentioned, I think, speaks to the fact that that's probably his most iconic win. But, yeah, I think the other one is, is maybe the Chael win was pretty good, too. I mean, there were so many. There really was. By the way, uh, another iconic Anderson win was the was the Forrest Griffin win, by the way. That one was crazy. But, uh, I, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think – Part of that fight is I just remember Forrest running out of the cage after it was over. Yeah, yeah, and that one hit me hard because I was uh, Forrest is my favorite fighter of all time. So yeah. I don't know why I thought he could beat Anderson Silva, but that was like uh, these two dudes are just completely different fighters, completely different levels. Next up, I've got a pair of women mixed martial artists, and this is something me and Dan were kind of debating uh, before the show. Amanda Nunez, I wrote down the cyborg knockout, but you brought up a great point of Nunez's win against uh, Ronda. Yeah, those are the two. You know, yes, Nunez does have some wins over um, Shevchenko that are impressive. Nunez, similar to Fedor, similar to GSP, one of her most notable moments will go down as the loss to Pena. But the two big finish victories are over two of the biggest names in the sport. Cyborg and, and Rousey. And for me, I'm going with Rousey. Yes, Rousey lost her luster because she'd already been knocked out by Holly Holm. But it was still the first moment I thought of. I, I feel like Rousey and Nunez was a bigger fight than than Nunez and Cyborg. I wish I had the pay-per-view buys in front of me so I could be authoritative with that statement. But I still think Nunez destroying retiring the most famous female fighter of all time is my pick. Now, Chris Cyborg to me was an interesting one. And to me, the one that I really turned to, and, and we talk about iconic moments, I think it, it really goes into iconic moments in the sports history. And that's her matchup against Gina Carano and strike force. Yeah, man. Um, that that's the answer for me too. And you know, Carano and Santos was uh, was was just a huge, huge, huge fight at the time. It was the biggest women's mixed martial arts fight of all time. Gina and Cyborg were the two stars. It's the equivalent of being able to see Kayla and, G- and uh, Cyborg fight already before Kayla lost. But it was an absolute ass whooping. I mean, Cyborg kicked the hell out of Gina. I don't know if Gina ever fought again after that Cyborg fight. She was one of the biggest stars. Scott Coker did a hell of a job promoting her. You know, the only thing that the only person to do more damage to Gina Carano than Chris Cyborg that night was Gina Carano on Twitter. But uh, I would certainly say that Cyborg's win over Gina was that. And honestly, the other one I'm thinking of would probably be maybe one of the Marlish Cohen victories. Uh, would be maybe some of the most notable wins of Cyborg's career. But when it comes to iconic, the first thing you think of it's that fight. And the question me and you were kind of, as we were having our pre-show meeting, we talked about is the most iconic moment in women's MMA history. It is probably Holly Holm knocking out Ronda Rousey. I think it is. I think it's the moment that resonates with the most people. A lot of people saw it. It was amazing. It's not often you see great knockouts like that. You know, like PFL, they had uh, the fight between Jandrova and, oh, my God, I can't remember who knocked her out. But uh, it was a head kick knockout, and it was the number one play on uh, on uh, Sports Center. Oh, not Jandrova. Who the 
I need to get this right. I'm going to get this right real quick. But it was the number one play. And it's just not often in women's mixed martial arts that you see head kick knockouts like that. And it was Marina. Oh, it was Amber Laybrook knocking out Martina Jindrova with the head kick in, in the first round. And it was just one of those things where it's a random fight on a PFL prelim card, but it was number one because it was badass. And home knocking out Ronda was badass when you don't even know who they are. But the fact that Ronda was like this undefeated monster who just destroyed people and Holly went out and shocked the world and yeah, sent Ronda on that trajectory that led her to the WWE. And you know, it makes it just made me think because I had to Google this. One of the things that I probably remember about the aftermath of that fight was the uh, corner audio of Edmund head movement, head movement. <laughs> And she's yeah. just getting butchered. And then and, and I remember, like, you talk about these these times where you remember watching fights. I, I remember being at a house party for the uh, Nunez-Rousey um, fight. And, you know, people were kind of debating on it. And I go, this is a mismatch. This ain't close. And, I mean, and we saw what happened. It looked like a mismatch. It, it, sir, it absolutely was. I guess, what, what do you think was the most iconic Ronda fight? Now, I mean, we've kind of... We we throw her under the bus Ooh. by talking about talking about her her low lights. I feel like her most iconic moment is probably the win over Misha the first time when uh, in Strike Force she she won the the bantamweight championship. It was her fifth fight, and she did it in the first round. That would be my pick. The first thing name that came to my mind was actually the Liz Carmouche fight because she had to weather some adversity in that fight. Nearly gets submitted, comes back and wins that one. Um, I, I mean, look, I mean, there, there's you can look at the the uh, knockout against Alexis Davis in 16 seconds, the submission of Cassingano in 14 seconds. I mean, those are you know two iconic moments. But I think in terms of like the history, yeah, the, the fights with with Misha would be ones that that stick out to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else you got? Jose Aldo, this one was clear to me when I started looking at his career resume. Was it? Did you have a clear one on this one? I, it wasn't clear at first. It wasn't clear at first, and then I just went down to, I went down to my memories and which fight I remembered the most, which fight I thought was the biggest deal when it happened. So I, I don't know if we have the same answer, but maybe we do. It was in the WEC. We do not. Okay, we don't. Are you going with his fight against Faber? No. Which one are you going with? UFC 142, when he knocked out Chad Mendez at the end of the first round, he gets on cage and then he goes into the stands. That to yeah. me is the one that stuck out to me. But like, That's an I, okay, but when, when I started initially thinking about it, I was thinking about when they did the pay per view in the WEC with Aldo and Faber, where he, I mean, literally. Faber had no weapons to, at all because he was just beaten up so bad. Yeah, was that so? That was a WBC shit when he just destroyed his legs. Yeah, or was that okay? Yeah, I couldn't remember if that was WBC or UFC, but you're right. That was now the one I was going with was um, Mike Brown when he knocked out Mike Brown. Uh, that that's the first thing I think of when it comes to Aldo because Mike Brown was. You know, he knocked out – okay, so Faber was the kingpin of the featherweight division for the longest time. Mike Brown comes out, and he dethrones Uriah Faber, and it looks like he's going to hold the title for a while. This is a hard-hitting 145-er. And Jose Aldo 
was a literal supernova. I mean, the first, and he had already been in WC for a long time, but the first thing I saw was his fight before the Mike Brown fight, which was the flying knee finish over Cub. And he just looked like a special fighter. And the fight against Mike Brown really validated to me that Jose Aldo was a special dude. The way he finished Mike Brown and made this dude who was a king of the division look like a jester. Now, before we get to the final two names that are on my list, do want to let you know that this episode of the Ameriport Podcast is presented by Sunday. It's time to reclaim your weekend. Sunday Lawn Care can take one thing off your to-do list, and, well, we all have to-do lists. Good Lord, I look at my to-do list every day, and it seems like it grows by the second. So instead of spending your time working on your yard with Sunday, you can spend time enjoying it. And that's all we want to do on the weekend. We want to enjoy that time. We can relax around the house you know maybe you got a pool you know or maybe you got a hot tub like you mean i don't have either one of those things i just got a nice yard because of sunday lawn care i want to throw the cornhole boards out there you know have a few uh you know adult beverages and and throw a little cornhole with the family look man with sunday it's gonna give you the lawn you've always dreamed of in your whole neighborhood your neighbors are gonna be knocking on your door and asking you hey man how'd you get your lawn to look so good and what i love about sunday is it works for someone like me because it's easy to use and it's affordable. When I say easy to use, with Sunday, literally all you need is a hose to apply it. You fertilize your whole lawn and less time it takes to watch an episode of your favorite TV show right now, I'm watching Beef, and that's only 35 minutes. Sunday is affordable, like I said, man. Some lawn care services to give you that lawn you want, man, they cost more than $1,500 a year. With Sunday, a full season plan starts at just $109. And the other thing is, man, they only use good ingredients you can feel great about. No harsh chemicals, no long waiting periods or trying to keep your kids and pets off the lawn. You just apply it, you let it dry, and man, you're back to enjoying your yard. And Sunday is offering our listeners 20% off full season plans. Sorry, just $109. And you can get 20% off when you when you visit GetSunday.com slash Airport at checkout. Once again, full season plans start at just $109. And you can get 20% off when you visit GetSunday.com slash Airport at checkout. That's 20% off your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash Report. And when you hit that uh, unique URL that lets Sunday know that you heard about here on the MMA Report podcast. Now, I mentioned there are two other fighters that are on my list. One is Conor McGregor. That's easy. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, how is it not the Aldo knockout? Like, how is it not? No, the only thing that's more iconic than that is probably Conor throwing a guardrail into a bus, but it is the Aldo knockout. Like, for Conor. I don't know what the hell he would have to do to top that moving forward. It would have to be winning another championship. If he comes in there and he knocks out Leon, and it's there's no question what Leon's number one moment is. Uh, the, maybe that, that that's a case, but yeah, the the holy f moment of Connor finishing Aldo in just seconds. It, 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 there's no dispute in it. The other name on my list is Randy Couture. And to me, the the thing that immediately sticks out in my mind is him defeating Tim Selvey to win the heavyweight title. Yeah, I agree with you. That was also the very first thing. And similar to the Alex one, it was a beautiful story. Uh, the size difference between Tim and, and Randy was just 
it's 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 the first thing you think of when you see those two in the cage. Randy's coming off a loss to Chuck Liddell, and you know Chuck had his number with uh, two knockouts and in 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 short period of time before that. And I think for Randy, you know, when I think of other moments of his career, I mean, it's probably beating Pedro Hizzo, um, successfully defending his championship. Wins over Tito Ortiz, uh, his first win over Chuck, but it's still Tim Sylvia. Um, just to just to circle things back, I got a couple of names, most iconic moments. See if you disagree. Julian Lane, him saying "Let me bang, bro." Uh, Bobby Southworth, I think when he peed in some dude's sleeping bag, and Joe Sun, uh, his most iconic moment was hitting Keith Hackney in the balls at UFC four. That's the first thing I think of when I think of Joe Sun. The second thing I think of is uh, he's a criminal. Yeah, you know, I, I would say when I, I was thinking about iconic moments for me in, in terms of just you know this this MMA crazy world, I, I do think about. I, I mentioned about Bellator ninety. The one thing that I remember about that trip was the whole preliminary card. I was in the back because I was doing an interview with Bjorn Rebney, which was uh, most no, most nobody known about the time. He says, "Yeah, we're not. Hell no, we're not interested in signing John Fitch. I don't want John Fitch in my promotion." And uh, I remember uh, somebody had kind of joked with me, you know, because we always, you know, this is. This inside joke about when you hear exclusive news, exclusive interview in MMA circles, and you know, and he's like, "You should put the the headline." Here's a real mother effing exclusive for y'all here, <laughs> you know. But I, I just remember, I, I literally spent the entire preliminary card in the back. I did not watch any of the prelims that night. Yo, what the hell has Bjorn Rebney been doing? It's been like a decade. Uh I have no idea, bro. I I, I couldn't. Surprised. I could not tell you. The last time I'll tell you, the last time I heard from Bjorn was the the fire union thing, and I remember. I, I, let me just say this: there's things I wish I could say about things that were presented to me, um, but I, you know, it, it was off the record stuff, so I'll, I'll keep it off the record. But um, I, I just remember like it was like a day or a day or two before that folded. Uh, was when I kind of stopped hearing from Bjorn. Yeah. The, uh, I, I, it was a while ago. I heard Bjorn might be in the, the uh, marijuana business. Ooh, good for him. Maybe he can, maybe he can work with uh, Nate. Uh, I'm trying to look up. Uh, I think I see his LinkedIn. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find his LinkedIn, but it's trying to verify me. Yeah. I remember um, Bjorn's right-hand man, uh, Tim Donaher, he, um, he ended up going and working um, the, uh, the e-cigarette company, Jewel. He was like one of the head honchos in that one. Okay. So yeah, maybe that, that, that's what he's up to. Yeah. Working, working in, in the marijuana industry, and, and uh, his his buddies working in Jewel. I don't know, but I what I do know is they're probably making money. They're probably making a crap load of money doing whatever the hell they they're doing. But it's just surprising because it's not like he left amicably. It's not like he left because he wanted to leave. It was it was it was a pressure to to, to change the head. And I would have figured, like Scott Coker, after Strike Force. He would have done another mixed martial arts enterprise, I, and he has just gone off the radar. Like you know, you know, like Joe Silva. Although I guess we saw Joe Silva in that little 
uh, video with the Rory and, and Robbie, and I was like, damn, that's crazy that Joe Silva's on camera. But, uh, yeah, Bjorn like Joe Silva has just gone the way of the Dodo. I don't know what, what what's going on with him. I just think that how how everything went that I just don't think Bjorn really had a future in mixed martial arts and and I mean look if you're going to point to anything of what the demise of Bjorn Rebney was it was the Eddie Alvarez contract that was yeah. the demise that was the demise of Bjorn Rebney yeah I, I got into his his LinkedIn and uh, he is the CEO and founder of MIH Sports Entertainment he's been doing that for eight years um so yeah, I don't I don't know what that means exactly, but I'm sure he's making money. Yeah, in California. No. I, I I will say this I I haven't tried to hit hit up Bjorn and and I, and I, I like I'm pretty sure his number's still on my phone. I'm pretty sure it, you should hit him up, man. That'd be a good podcast. Maybe maybe he'll put some stuff on the record and uh, yeah, I still yeah I, I still do have Bjorn's number. It's still I, I will not show the camera, but I still have his normal number. Yes, <laughs> try you should do a podcast with him and then. I mean, there, we there, did, we did. So we did one podcast, um, and uh, he was going to help line me up some interviews, but uh, we all know kind of how that unfolded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, memory lane. It's a, it's a, it's a pleasant, pleasant place to be. Yeah, yeah. That's it's really. Um, I, I, well, I got to mention. I got to mention one thing. Real okay. Quick. I got to get this off my chest. So saw this PFL show this past week. And honestly, I enjoyed most of it. It, it was a, it was a solid broadcast, as I mentioned before. I like Justin Roberts. Oh, I have two points I want to bring up um, about PFL, and and it, there were some great moments. Maurice Green looked great. Bruno Capeloso looked great. A lot of good finishes. But Jesus Christ, I was watching this Danilo Marquez Jorgen De Castro heavyweight fight, and this was the worst fight I've seen in years. And I'm very upset about it. And I just have to pull up these statistics, Jason. I have to pull up these statistics. And, and give it to you. These two dudes fought for 15 minutes, Jason. Mm-hmm. And Jorgen De Castro, I have it here, landed 16 total strikes. He landed eight arm strikes and eight leg strikes for 15 minutes. That's less than a, a punch a minute. I, I don't know what's going on. Some- I, I also I watched this fight on the Stairmaster. So it was a 20-minute exercise on the Stairmaster. And I, 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 was, I hated life. Because I was doing this exercise, I was supposed to watch mixed martial arts to get me distracted. But this fight is so boring. The only thing that's happening is Danilo Marquez is kicking Castro in the legs. And I don't know whose legs are in more pain, Jorgen's or mine. Marquez went 0 for 3 on arm strikes for the entire fight. So he didn't land a single punch. And I just think there should be a rule where a fight is so awful, uh, they should just both be eliminated from the playoffs. That is my Look, new pitch to the PFL. Some people might call that impressive. They can only throw that many strikes in a three-round fight. <laughs> and then here's my other point, bro. And this also – I'm here's the thing. I do like Dean, Dean Thomas, and that part of the broadcast works, especially because we don't see him. And I, and I hate criticizing the PFL because a lot of what they do is interesting because they are trying stuff out. They're not That's... doing the common – stuff there are we got a smart cage we got all this crap and that's great that's what we need in like the different promotions is different stuff mm-hmm. but i am tired of watching a fight and every round we're seeing ian parker's little box come up and he's telling me about the betting odds you know 
during a fight, his little screen, or they have Shane Burgos and he's on the screen, or Kayla Harrison on the screen for the Pacheco. It's like we don't need more entertainment. We are already watching two people punch each other in the. It's a fight. We don't need more screen, more content. We have a fight on the hand. It's interesting you bring that point up because that now look, I'm pro betting. You know, I, I I essentially do a betting show in all reality, but I do wonder: is there a percentage of the, of the audience that loves combat sports that just hates the gambling integration into the broadcast? Because oh, it yeah. it doesn't. I mean, we really don't get it in Bellator, and I'm I'm imagining that's probably more based on them that maybe not having a gambling sponsorship more than anything else. But like, if you think about a UFC broadcast, a PFL broadcast. Betting is integrated in major. I mean, how? I mean, I'm watching NBA on on TNT, and betting is integrated into that into that studio show. Yeah, I mean, it's it goes hand in hand with with this advertising, the sponsors. It's an exciting part of being a sports fan, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's it's a deal where do it before, do it after, during the fight. It's fine in audio format, I guess, but when you have that visual of the screen, it's distracting. And the thing is, if I wanted to watch the Manning cast, I can, but I can also just watch the Monday Night Football game without it. But I'm being held hostage. And also, when you're doing that, you are not talking about the fight, really. And in a fight, anything can happen in a given moment. Like, I think it was the Bruno Capelozzo Matthias Scheffel fight where he's talking about how Sheffo, you know, you're looking forward to maybe put some money on him and Bruno finishes him like 20 seconds later. So it's the – they overdo it on, on the gambling. They really do. Um, I know gambling is popular. I know it's hip. It's the right move. But at the end of the day, both me and you can't legally place a bet anywhere. No. <laughs> can't I mean, legally look, place I, a bet I, anywhere. I, I think it's only a matter of time before it's legal everywhere. Um, I mean, and, and, and I've said this. I, I just think there's too much tax revenue sitting out there. I mean, I, I correlate sports betting and marijuana. I feel like both are going to be legal across the board throughout this country. Five years may be too quick, but I think within 10 years, I think it, it's both of them are legally, no matter whether I'm sitting in Tampa, Florida, I'm sitting in the Rio Grande, or I'm sitting in you know, Green Bay, Wisconsin. I, I feel like it, it's going to be across the board no matter what. Now, you know, we kind of, you know, when we talk about the comic moments, obviously part of that was really the UFC 287. And the next thing we want to talk about is matches to make following UFC 287. And yes, sir. Izzy is the interesting one because he's already defeating everyone in the top five. Definitely a case to say, go ahead and have the trilogy matchup in MMA against Alex. That makes a lot of sense in the world, but all, all signs do kind of point to Alex moving the 205, and and I think that makes sense. I mean, he's a he's a massive dude, but it's like, if it's not Alex, as is his next fight, I know Jan Bohovic is talking about coming to 185. That's kind of interesting, you know, the history there with Amari fighting at 205 pounds. You clearly, even though Izzy does not want to say his name, he clearly wants to beat the hell out of Drake's Duplessis. I don't think Duplessis has done enough to earn a title shot, but there's a little bit of a storyline there. I really don't know what what the UFC does with Izzy. Yeah, to me, the fight's obvious, bro. Shemaev. Shemaev Adesanya. That's the fight to make. Well, so Izzy's supposedly they're doing, they're doing Shemaev and Paul Costa in October. Now, oh. if, if Shemaev gets through that, 
Okay, then I think that that makes a ton of sense for Chamaya to get the next shot at Dizzy. Yeah. yeah, maybe I jumped the gun. You're right. Man, that's a long time until that fight takes place. That's a long time. Um, so you, you're probably right. I, I just I, maybe I'm jumping to it because that just seems like a big fight. So if you take out Hamzat um, and you look at that middleweight division and you accept that Alex is going to move to 205 because when you listen to the post-fight press conference, I mean, Dana is already putting it out there and it, it seems like that's mm-hmm. the direction Alex is going to go in. And again, he does look like a monster. <laughs> and that's a big reason why uh, Izzy's win was so crazy is like there's a few things more terrifying in this world than Alex Pereira charging after you with the barrage of strikes. And Izzy decided to use that as a strategy. He's got bigger <laughs> balls than a, than a 2,000-pound bull. Um, I, I guess the answer is is, is, is Duplessis, I guess, because there's history there. There's a rivalry there. Izzy's already talking back at him, clapping back at him. And I guess that's the one I would go for next. I mean, there's real fatigue on the Whitaker situation. Not super excited. I mean, again, as you mentioned, we've already seen him beat Whitaker, Vittori, Cannoneer, Costa. Uh, those guys are going to do a lot more uh, to, to, to get there. I mean, the guy who could have been in that situation had he not lost a fight would have been Strickland. So I, I do think the answer is du- is duplicy. But I was I was going to go with Chimaev, but I guess if they're going to give him a legit 185-pound win, a fight against Paulo Costa is great. Just hopefully Paulo makes the 185. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things about uh, – I forgot to mention this about Izzy. I, I, I love the brutal honesty of Izzy when he's talking about how uh, he decided he was going to mock – Alex's kid when you know you, you know and he goes yeah bro I'm petty as fuck yeah, yeah. I like I, look whether you love hate whatever he did I, I you know whatever but he just in the post fight he was like yeah I'm petty as fuck dude you, hey look here's the one thing about Izzy if you don't know you now you know he keeps them receipts yeah Dude, you should just do the. They should just do the trilogy. I mean, screw it. They, I mean, they, they really okay. should just do the trilogy. That's the fight to make. They, they should. Now, let, let's say Alex moves to two hundred five. I think you throw him right into the title matchup. Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, Alex is immediately the most exciting two hundred five er. Um, that that is a division that's backlogged, right? You have guys with legitimate cases for things. Does Jamal Hill already have a fight set up? Uh, no. And then what's the timetable on Ankalaev and Prohaska? I mean, I know Prohaska's recovering from an injury, and as soon as he comes back, he deserves a championship fight. What's Ankalaev yeah. doing? Uh, I have not heard. I mean, you know, there was some talk about Yuri coming back in like the summertime-ish, and it seems like that would be kind of rushing it. And Dana has said that, you know, when Yuri's ready, he'll get the title matchup. But I just think it makes – if Alex is going to move up, and this is where I kind of feel like – Probably Glover has said something to Dana like, "Look, I'm just not gonna have him cut to 85 anymore. You know, we're we're gonna fight at, at more of a natural weight there, um, in terms of of that one. But that that's kind of where. By the way, uh, another thing I'll mention about kind of the the aftermath of UFC 287. So you remember those the video footage we saw of Chuck Liddell being a part of Alex's training camp, being at least around the team. Did you see where Chuck Liddell was at after UFC 287? No, where was he at? He was at Izzy's after party. Hell yeah. What was he doing? Was he putting some beverages down? I'm going to speculate. Yeah, he was. Hey, man. 
It's that lineage. Chuck took Glover to Izzy. Uh, yeah, Chuck. Uh, Chuck's, you know, the Ice Man likes his ice beverages. His, uh, I, I, I'm not. I'm not I'm one not, to yeah. complain. I mean, hey, no. I wouldn't want to drink with Chuck. You know, sure. yeah. Th- there, there is definitely some people in the cinema industry. I would not. I, I would tell you this. Tatu Avasa, even though I feel like I'd be feeling awful the next day, I feel like day drinking at Tatu Avasa, you know, in Australia on the beach would be really fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of shenanigans would happen at that point. Yeah. And as you mentioned, I would need an IV of Gatorade into my body as soon as we got okay, okay. By the way, I, I uh, so I had uh, the Gatorade light uh, recently. Not the greatest mm-hmm. tasting thing in the world. No, I think that's just. But, 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 but it did the trick. Yeah. You know, it, when people make product, it's either form or function. Does it look good? Does it taste good? Or does it do its job? And, and, and that's probably what it does. It's job. Yeah. 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 That, that was when I was out at the golf tournament and we were, uh, buddy was driving, driving back and go, hey, stop by this gas station. <laughs> I was like, I, I was just going to get a Gatorade. And because, uh, well, it was off to the next stop. And I had one of those PU lights. I I I drank that thing so quick, like. But then I was like, "Yeah, that's a diff- much different taste <laughs> than a regular Gatorade." Um, Gilbert Burns. Oof, it's it's a great it's a great one, and gosh, I feel Gilbert, I feel I'm like not- if you're I feel like you're Gilbert. It's one of two things. You sit on the sidelines and you wait for Leon Colby if it happens. Be ready to potentially step into that fight if one of those guys can't get there. Or B, rematch against Kamaru Usman. Yeah, I think the, the Kamaru Usman fight is probably what's next for him. That's the big time fight. Like, if you're not fighting Kamaru, if you're not fighting for the title, who you're fighting? Shafkat? I mean, hell no. You don't want none of that. Neither does Bilal Muhammad. Um, and, and and honestly, if it's if it's not Usman, it's Bilal Muhammad. Dude, it's the you, other name. Did you see the shirt Bilal Muhammad was wearing? I did not. It was the picture of uh, the aftermath of Colby Covington's uh, incident, where he was allegedly hit by another UFC fighter. Oh my gosh. Yeah, oh, he was man. wearing he was wearing that around at UFC two eighty seven. I'm like, yeah, Colby Covington, nowhere to be seen. I yeah. got to think that may have been the UFC saying, hey, there's this restraining order thing that you put on. So, uh, yeah, you can't show up. Yeah, well, because, um, I mean, he probably would have wanted to sit next to Trump, and that would have definitely violated the restraining order. He was right next to the cage. So, yeah, I think and, – and, and the thing is, it's a good call because UFC t- – what's up? What were you going to say? No, I heard someone else mention this. And you remember, it wasn't that too long ago, Dana White talked about how he, did, he didn't want politics and mixed martial arts? That went yeah. out the window at UFC 287? Yeah, so I, I just watched a movie called um, Air, which people are aware of, I'm sure, about um, Michael Jordan signing with Nike. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan had a famous quote, Republicans buy sneakers too. And I, I would like to see an MMA person like Dana, he would never say this, but Democrats buy UFC pay-per-views too. <laughs> I mean, because it just felt like a Republican um, convention over there. Oh God! You Could know? you? Hey, hey, Schmo, you and Dana obviously are no longer friends. Um, <laughs> that's what happened there. Could you imagine? Hey, Schmo, just stamping the mic. 
Hey, Dana, do you think Democrats buy UFC pay-per-views? Yeah, yeah. And, and I, they I do would imagine, hey, Schmo, your, day, your days as a UFC credential media person would probably be done at that point. Yeah, I know. But it's like you literally have a dude in the co-main event starting a chant that basically says F you to the president. You know, and it's like, and it, and it, like, it, it was the perfect environment for that because, you know, Florida's, that's Florida's Republican hotbed. Uh, but yeah, if you're, I, you know, I, and, and I, there I were, tell, yeah, dude, I will tell you. So, um, where three of our restaurant properties are, are on Queer R Beach, and there, there's, there's various, you know, I mean, like you, you go on any beach property, you're going to have these, you know, t shirt type businesses. And, uh, yeah, let's just say there's a lot of those let's go shirts. Yeah. Yeah. And, I just feel like he's my big pitch for politics. Whenever you have the two people who are nominated for president, I, I think it's too divisive. I think those two people should go to a darkness retreat together for a whole week. And it's just them in a cabin and they just have to hang out for a whole week and they come out and they're friends. And it's like a friendly competition, you know, just it is nice and jovial. They have different ideas, not the uh, the place we're in now where it's literally just acid water look look we, we're not here to talk politics but i will tell yeah. you this there would be one question i'd ask president trump what's that have you ever owned an affliction t-shirt that would let me know how much of a mma fan is he yeah apparently he's a hardcore mixed martial arts fan apparently I, okay wait when data said that i could not be the only one that went Oh God! I would love to be a fly on the wall. What does that MMA conversation sound like? I know it would be interesting to know like how deep he goes because the thing with him is, I mean, he's a busy dude. Uh, I, 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 this is my question: Is him and Data talking about some second prelim fight of the night? Yeah. Does he watch Fight Pass? My other question is: If you're president, former president. Can't you get a better like person to sit next to than Kid Rock? You know? I, I feel I feel like that's just on brand. It is on brand, but I feel like he, he could get somebody that's a little cooler, like somebody maybe, who's just I mean, a little bigger. Maybe Mike Tyson should have been one seat over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that that makes sense. Mike Tyson and a president, right? Like, uh, but hey, man, I mean, you know, yeah, it was it was a very surreal feeling, uh, but. I'm glad Colby wasn't there because it was, to me, a celebration of Jorge's career. Yeah. And it, it's the end of the road. He's retiring. There's no fight to promote next for him in the UFC. I know he'll box for sure. You, like, you, like you, 100%. Uh, oh, okay. I, that was literally my next question. Like, yeah. do, do we believe, literally, on our, our rundown, she says, should we believe your time or Jorge Maswell? And overall, no. my, my answer is no, you don't believe it. He's got a boxing promotion, he's got a bare knuckle promotion. But also, to me, what is rare about this retirement is you have a fighter who is saying, I know my fastball is not there like it once was. And in combat sports, this is just something we don't hear from fighters admit that. Maybe they will admit that privately, but publicly it's something that they just don't admit. But, yeah, it it would not shock me within the next 12 months. Jorge Maslow's boxing. If he's boxing Jake Paul, I could see him boxing Jake Paul. Jake Paul, Logan Paul, those ones make sense. Yeah, yeah. Like, I I for sure think he would box – I think that's Jay Paul's next fight after Nate. 
because he he's just as big of a name. People will watch it. Put the damn fight in Miami. You know, they'll be on. It'll probably be on Rumble. That'll be the next broadcast partner. But yeah, that's it. And you know, it, it was. It's also the thing is the UFC didn't do too many favors with this fight because he literally fought one of the four best welterweights on the planet. I mean, Gilbert Burns is just an unreal fighter right now. And you kind of think maybe Jorge should have got an easier fight in his retirement fight in Miami. Like, how cool would it have been if, if – okay, like, hear me out. Jorge Masvidal and Michelle Pereira, give me that fight, you know? Now, one of the things we should mention – is and I'm not sure if we talked about this last week on the podcast or not. I think I think we talked about it um, after the show. Is you know at the beginning of the month we 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 drafted our top ten fights and and we both uh, you know someone had mentioned this to us uh, on social media of like hey y'all should revisit this after the fact you know I mean look obviously you know Izzy Prayer was obviously a number one pick you, you that in your top two was Gilbert Burns versus Jorge Masvidal but I had Rob Font versus Adrian Yanez on my list and. You know what? That fight delivered exactly what we thought it was going to be. Yeah, that was awesome, bro. That was a great fight, and I think it was a learning experience for Adrian. It, it, he just went up against a dude who's battle-tested a veteran. He's consistently been one of the best bantamweights on the planet for a long time now, and he took some of Adrian's best shots, and he caught him. That was a hell of a finish. I mean, that main card was badass, bro. Like, that when uh, Holland's finish over Santiago – um, I think maybe the fight that went undrafted that could have been on that was worth it is the uh, Joe Joe Pfeiffer man. That guy is must watch that middleweight. Hey. That is a must watch cat. Gaslam Curtis was a great fight. People have seen that fight. Go back and watch that one. Kelvin looked yeah. tremendous in that fight. Um, I did see that Chris Curtis is actually going to appeal the fight because of the uh, invert headbutt that happened there in the second round. Was it third round or second round? Felt like it was the second round. Yeah, I think it was the second round too. Um, you know, and then I know the other thing you want to talk about is Raul Rosas Jr. going out there, and I mean, like, I was, I had an interview last week where um, with Tony Rojas, he, he just won his pro debut in Unified MMA, and he is he he played professional soccer down in Costa Rica, and, and one of the conversations that we had was about managing your cardio. And, you know, and, you know, we were kind of talking about how do you manage that as a soccer player when, you know, you're on the field for 90 plus minutes and, and managing that, say, in a 15 minute fight. And that to me is where Raul has got to learn how to manage. You just you can't go balls to the wall like that. But, you know, I, I and I think it's very easy to sit back and look at him right now. I mean, look, he's a kid. I mean, you know, he's barely 18 years old. You know what? And, and I understand that regional money sucks. I get that. But it, it's one of those things of it probably was not the best idea to rush this kid into the UFC. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were all high on on his performances on, on uh, the Contender Series. And, and we were just – it was all aboard the hype train that, you know, something I participated in. And it was a comeback to reality that this guy is 18 years old. You know, uh, it's just it's a different ball game. And he won round one, but he gassed really bad. His stand up is really, really, really bad for a mix for a UFC level fighter. His stand up is really bad. I mean, Luke Thomas honestly had a great clip on Twitter from his show that was just he he, he nailed all the talking points. He's going to get hurt, um, and he's 18, so he has all the time in the world. A, a whole 10 years from now, he'll be in the prime of his career. 
So if he's going to be a champion, uh, he's he's got to put in the time in the gym and not put in the time getting hurt in UFC fights. So I don't know. He should really not fight for a while and should just train because it was a deal when Christian had his back and it just looked like a kid getting beat up by his older brother. Yeah, you know, and one of the things, and um, I know I was listening to a Code Man Event podcast, and they brought this point. It was from a listener question, and it was talking about, is submission defense one of the best attributes to have in mixed martial arts? Because if you look at the way Christian was able to, you know, defend all those submissions early on the first round, and after the first round, I mean, Rahul just didn't have the gas tank. And then you look, you know, the very first fight of the night, Sam Hughes, I mean, looks like she's about to get submitted in the first round, which... Here's the most comical thing about that opening fight. As she is complaining in the, uh, I know it was at least the third round, maybe the second round, about uh, Jacqueline holding her glove. And I'm like, hold on. You were doing that in the first round to stop the submission. Yeah. But that's not even the most comical thing about Sam Hughes. Uh, post-fight. Oh. Put money on her. Did, did she forget this memo? Like, there's... Th- there are things you should not disclose. Yeah. You should not disclose your boyfriend made a bet on you. Yeah. Hopefully she just got like a stern warning because you feel for her. Cause I mean, again, a preliminary fighter. I, I, like, look, as we start to move forward ahead to UFC, Kansas City, here, here's the thing is I've been wondering, is it more likely to hear the word Bellator or the word James Krause on a broadcast? I heard James Krause's name on the broadcast last week. Kind of interesting. Um, yeah. But, you know, like if you look ahead this this Kansas City car on Saturday, I feel like if we didn't have a gambling scandal, this probably would be filled with James Cross fighters. And, and maybe this was done on purpose by the UFC to say, hey, let's try to limit. Zach Cummings is the only former James Krause uh, fighter on this car. But, like, to me, when I look at, at UFC Kansas City on Saturday, it's the top two fights. Now, look, I, I, I'll have my Tampa blinders on. Max Holloway, Arnold Allen, great fight. Great fight. Looking forward to it. Can't wait. But if, you, if I'm putting my Tampa blinders on, my number one reason to watch is my guy, Billy Quarantillo. Oh, yeah. And he's got a great dancing partner, Edson Barbosa. I mean, yeah. banger. It, it, it's an absolute banger. And I don't know if we drafted that fight. I believe I, I had I had this one. Did you? Yeah, I think you, you must have because you're a big Billy. I, th- I think I think I have both. The, I think I I I I'm here in my 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 office studio. Um, not my home studio where I've got the list of, of uh, our draft picks. But I think I had the main event and co-main event here. Well, it's a great fight card. I mean, I f- I feel like um, that may have been your first pick. Uh, Holloway and Allen's a great fight. Billy Q and, and uh, Edson's a great fight. Jacoby and Azamat. Mercer Conop's a great fight. I mean, obviously, you know, I love Brandon Royval and Matthias Nicolau. I have no idea why the hell that's on prelims. That one, yeah, I was shocked to see that on the prelims. Um, you know, I, I would say things that other intriguing about this fight card, Tanner Bozer moving down to 205 pounds. What does he look like as a 205 pound when you're taking on the wild man, Ian Kutalaba? I mean, like there, there's, there's certain fighters that you say, no matter what kind of their record is, you know, whether they're coming off a win, coming off a loss, you say, you know what, that guy's probably going to bring some craziness, so I, I probably want to see that fight. I think there's two of those fighters on this card. Yep. One of them is Ian Kutalaba, and the other one's got to be Lando Veneta. Yep, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Yep, hey, that's another one, and and he's on the prelims, and that'll be a good fight, bro. And I mean, another one who isn't like those two, but he usually 
it's just nostalgic. Clay Guida, you know, it's always fun to watch him fight, and and him and Jim Miller are like yeah, two of on. the old guys holding up the holding up the, uh, the 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 nostalgia. And you talk about iconic with Clay Guida. It's got to be. ESPN, you cannot be in commercial break when Jason Guida comes up there and smacks the living hell out of his brother. Yeah, that's that's the most iconic thing uh, for Clay Guida. <laughs> Either that or when he freaking burps. Oh, uh, guarantee if that is not on the UFC's social media channels at this point, you know that is going to be an Instagram reel, a TikTok at some point this week. Yeah, yeah, I'm- I'm excited for it, bro. But I mean, the most exciting fight is the main event. Oh, I mean, oh, it's just, yeah, it's great. I mean, I guess my question to you is, who are you picking? Who's your pick? Is it Allen? Is it Holloway? I I can't go against Max. Um, I mean, it, this is this is that opportunity that Arnold Allen has been seeking. It's at, at that top opponent to show that he truly is a top three guy. He's a title challenger in this division. Um, I mean, look, I think if you're Aaron Allen, I mean, it's how do you get away from the volume of Max Holloway? Yeah, that's going to be a problem, especially in a five-round fight where Max can just win these rounds with his volume. And he's just one of the best you know, strikers at 145 and – you know, I think for Allen, it's just a matter of mixing things up. And I think it's possible. I mean, he has a strong grappling game. This is a massive step up. And he does feel like someone who is on the verge of a championship opportunity. But I don't know if there's too many tougher guys at 145 to fight than Max Holloway and has a longer track record. At some point, Max is going to take a step back. Mm-hmm. As a fighter, oh, yeah. he's been doing it for a long effing time, you know, similar to Raul Rosas in terms yeah. of super young, right? Like super, super young. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if Max retires in the next three years, just because it seems like he's someone who has other interests in life than just mixed martial arts. But in this matchup, I'm going to go with the proven commodity and it's the stand up of Max that that's why I'm thinking he wins via decision. But I'm glad we get this fight because Arnold had a great opportunity to prove himself against a top fighter in Calvin Cater. And that was taken away from him when Cater got that knee injury. So finally, he has that opportunity here. Max Holloway, 31 years old, but feels like he's been around for 15 oh, years. Which, I mean, he what, he debuted at 20, at 20 years old or 19? I think 20. Yeah, I want to say it was 20. Yeah, um, so it's it's crazy. I, here's a random question, just a random sidetrack, but okay. I, I thought of it way earlier, and I just wanted to give it to you. You talked about how time passes by and whatnot. The year is 2050. Okay. Does Raul Rosas fight that year? He will be 45 years old in the year 2050. <laughs> Do you think I would. Raul I would hope not. <laughs> I would hope not. But I, I like. Like, it wouldn't it's shock me. Better. It wouldn't shock. Yeah. But, but the problem is, like, I mean, at that point, he, you know, the wear and tear. I mean, this is my thing with Raul. Uh, you know, and and I don't disagree with you. Thought of he needs to take some time off. You know, I think the one thing is, I mean, look, he is a incredible jujitsu practitioner. Every, you know, you talk to people in Vegas, they all rave about his abilities when it comes to jiu-jitsu. But, like, the one thing, and, and me and Pete talked about this last week before the fight, I said, you know, it's that question mark, what's that chin look like? I, I have a lot of questions about what's that offensive boxing look like. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
the good thing is he has a lot of time in the world to figure it out. Like, again, he's got, you know, in 20 years, he'll be 30 years old, 38 years old, right? That's it's crazy to think about, but he could realistically fight till 2050. That is, that is how young he is. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about, but you look at Max and it's like, oh, he's not going to fight till he's 40. It's just, it, he's been fighting at a high level. And honestly, when you look at Raul, it really makes you appreciate Max's career. Yeah. Right? Like he was young as hell. And really, there is not a long track record of these people coming in at 20 and 19 and 21 and having long-term success. There, there isn't. A lot of the – most of these people flame out, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Is, Think I of mean, all these people who want to be the youngest UFC champion of all time. They almost all of them flame out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a – I mean, and the other part about that is got to – luck has got to be on your side too. I mean, because this is a grueling game. Um, also this weekend, we got PFL on Friday. Kind of weird thing is we – and I was talking about this on Monday's podcast. If you go to ESPN page, you, you – the when you look at the prelims, that's quote unquote the main card. I saw Amy Kaplan uh, tweeting about this Saturday. So uh, Oven Aben Mercier versus Shane Burgos, which this is odd matchmaking to me. A matchup for Shane. You yeah, know, like like okay, like if I'm running the PFL and I'm trying to maximize entertaining fights. This is not the stylistic matchup I put Shane Burgos in. Because yeah, I just you, feel like OAB is just going to try to wrestle FM. You know, the, the fight to, to, to make would have been Shane Burgos and Clay Collar. That would have been the fight to make. But I guess the logic here is Shane's our biggest name. Oliver's the champion. Let's do it. And it, it's a it's a fight I'm interested in. But it's probably a fight you could have waited to have happen in the finals or the playoffs. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, Shane will probably still make it interesting because he's that good of a fighter. But amongst all the potential lightweight matchups, it's the one that has the most potential for Shane to have a kind of a boring matchup. Yeah, I mean... The, the one name on this card, and so this is for week three, this is lightweight and welterweights. There is a heavyweight fight on this card that was supposed to it was supposed to take place last week with Patrick Brady, but his opponent pulled out, so it was a guy, a new fight moved to this week. Patrick Brady's out of that Philly scene. He's 5-0. and oh. He is an older heavyweight. I want to say he's 39 years old, got a late start in mixed martial arts. Um, if you go over to uh, our YouTube channel, you, you, there is an interview that I had with Patrick Brady that I probably did – probably two-ish, maybe three months ago. Um, he tells a hilarious story about why his nickname is The Brick. Let's just say it got involved with him getting hit by a brick. Oh, my God. Yeah, he. it was with a, a – a, a, I want to say it was a stepfather. And uh, so he tells this hilarious story about that. But he is a guy I would tell you to pay attention to when, when it comes to this fight card. Uh, I mean, look, Clay Clollard, always a fun guy to watch fight. I mean, you know, we, we've seen what he, he can do in there. Um, you know, but one of the things I, I did kind of I laugh about, because I know you are the president of the Sabadu C fan club. Are you a little oh disappointed that he's, uh, quote, unquote, uh, the uh, prelim headliner? No, yeah, the only person who's going to top Jorgen De Castro in terms of fight entertainment is probably Sadabusi, but 
it, I guess it does show you the PFL knows what they're doing when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to that one, because Sadabusi is consistently one of the least fun fighters to watch because he fights a safe, smart fight, which is great for him, but boring for the viewer. And uh, I will not be looking forward to watching that one. I will not be watching that one on the Stairmaster. I will be on like the bike, a more pleasant exercise. That to me is the, if you were look at the downside of the PFL format, is it does it it may not necessarily reward somebody for going balls to the wall because you could just look at these two regular season matchup and go if i get six points i'm probably in the playoffs anyway yeah it's a tough one because you can get six points with the first round finish and just get guaranteed to get in the playoffs but you're right and it does feel like some dude's I don't know. Uh, so they're, they're just watching the fight cards. It doesn't. It just feels a little more boring than other fight cards. I don't know, um, and I th- maybe that's why. I mean, they do reward people again for the finishes, but I think you're kind of oh, right. It, it it totally benefits to fight last or next to last on on a PFL fight card because then you can kind of say, okay, I kind of know what I need. To be, be to put myself in a good spot when we hit to the, the round two before the playoffs. Yeah, but it is a safe bet. You get those six points through two fights, you're probably in. Um, yeah. By the way, we want to end the show talking about the comments that Dana White had about the UFC in Mexico. These comments come from the post-fight press conference following UFC 287, and this is what Dana White said. We would obviously love to get back to Mexico and do that, but I don't know if it's in the plans right now. We're building the UFC Performance Institute right now, and wait till you guys see that. I can't wait to share that with you, actually. The renderings for the UFC PA in Mexico is going to be badass. But we're not looking at an event. But you're right. You're not wrong. We got three Mexican champions finally. We probably should be heading to Mexico or at least doing a Cinco de Mayo. But that didn't work out either. So we'll see. For the first time ever, we got three champions from Mexico. Why didn't we do a Cinco de Mayo event in Mexico? Why did we not do this? Why? We're fucking it up. That's why we're fucking it up. We're trying to fix it. We're making a lot of mistakes right now. And I know we are. We'll get our shit together. I promise you. Fascinating. Now, the first part of that quote was actually from uh, the San Antonio press conference. The last part of it was from last Saturday. But it's interesting to hear. And I've seen some very smart people on MMA Twitter kind of note that maybe this is more of the UFC is in the site of fee business in terms of going to places, and maybe that has something to do with it. And the fact of UFC 290 on July 8th, two of your three Mexican champions will be fighting on that card. Yair Rodriguez taking on Alexander Volkanovsky, and then Bram Moreno to, uh, defending his title against uh, Pantoja. But it, it's just interesting to, to see Dana White talking about we're fucking it up, we're fucking it up, we're trying to fix it, we're making a lot of mistakes right now, and I know we are. We'll get our shit together, I promise you. I I think that's a, a fascinating comment to, to hear Dana White publicly admit because I, I, I feel like more times than not, Dana would not publicly come out and say, yeah, we're effing up here. Yeah, he never... He hardly does things like that, and it, I guess it speaks to the fact that it was an absolute no-brainer to do a Mexico card, and there's really no excuse for it not to happen. And 
there will likely never be another time when there's three Mexican UFC champions. It's just statistically the history of the sport. It hasn't happened where there's been three Mexican champions. Two is possible and, and three is possible too, but it just, it's so competitive. It's so hard to hold a championship. It required Alexa Grasso to pull off one of the greatest upsets in women's history. And it also required an interim championship to be created. And that's where we're here, right? Like, I don't think Yair's going to beat Volk. I think Alexa's probably going to lose the championship in her next fight. And I don't know who I'm picking between Moreno and Pantoja. You know, for all intents and purposes, the UFC could have zero Mexican champions in six months. And it's an opportunity missed not to have an iconic moment. I just went over to uh, the current UFC champions. It's kind of crazy to think about. You have three Mexican champions. Obviously, one's the interim champion. You only have three United States UFC champions right now, that being John Jones, Jamal Hill, and Aljamain Sterling. Wow. It's crazy to think about, but it's a global sport. I mean, who knows when we'll, if we'll ever have a country have five UFC champions again. You know, back in the day, it was either half the champions were American and half were Brazilian. But now it's just a much more global sport. You know, you have a champion from England, an Australian champion, uh, you know, champions from, you know, Francis was a champion. It, it, the heavyweight division is full of uh, fighters from different European countries. Yeah. I mean, it's a global sport. And, and again, it's, it's a missed opportunity, a major missed opportunity. And just think of how big of a when you when I say UFC Miami, people are going to immediately think of UFC two eighty seven. The location made it a memory, a great event. That Mexico event could have been just as memorable, if not more so. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking at this list. There are no multiple champions from one country after the three champions from the U.S. and Mexico. You've got Israel Adesanya from Nigeria, Leon Edwards from the U.K. Islam Mahachev from Dagestan, Alexander Volkanovsky from Australia, and then you got Amanda Nunez, Brazilian, and then Zhang Wali from China. Yeah, I guess you made the case that Amanda is a two-time Brazilian champion, but, you know, same person. Uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy, but it, the sport isn't going to get less diverse. It will continue to get more and more and more diverse as it continues to evolve and as as different countries and different continents it's crazy over on the wikipedia page it it has this graph of every ufc champion and you see the flags and you look at how at heavyweight outside of a couple of exceptions it has been dominated by americans same thing light heavyweight the majority is either united states or brazil Then you look over at light at welterweight. It had a run of Americans, and of course GSP from Canada. Then another run of Americans, and then Kamaru Usman, and you know Leon Edwards. Lightweight's another one that really has been was dominated by Americans. Yeah, it, it's just it's yeah, it's, it's kind crazy. of fascinating to look at this graph and kind of see where the UFC champions have come through from the history of MMA. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see 10 years from now 
which country has three UFC champions? Is it one we're not thinking of? You know, it, 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 you know, you think of all the great fighters from Dagestan, you know, it's, it's not a crazy world to think we'll, we'll be, we'll have a Usman as champion and a Mahachev as champion. Like you, you, you never know. And it, it's exciting. That's what makes it great. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about as a sport evolves or will we get to a time where maybe we see Italian UFC champions? Yeah. A French outside of Surreal Gone becoming a UFC champion. Have we ever seen a Japanese UFC champion? Not when that pops off my mind. That is, I'm, I'm looking now at that graph. Uh, I don't see it. That is crazy. That is absolutely crazy that there has never been a Japanese UFC champion because when I think of the three countries, where MMA was most popular during the first 15 years, it's Japan, Brazil, and in America. And that is stunning that there's never been a Japanese champion. And I, I think there will be a flyweight or bantamweight Japanese champion because there's some really high-level prospects in those weight classes. But it, it's crazy to think about when you think of the pride years and the dream years and how many great Japanese fighters there are and how important martial arts is to the Japanese culture. I, I think – had you told someone in 2007 which Asian country is going to have the first uh, champion, I don't think people would have thought uh, of um, China, which yeah. I guess Australia is. A, is Australia part of Asia? No, it's, it's or, no, it's still continent. Okay, yes. <laughs> sorry, I, it's been a long time since I've been in in. Uh, Australia is like a bucket a bucket list travel place for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love, I would love to go to Australia. No, I, 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 look, I, I would not be looking forward to the flight, but I would I for I don't know why it is, but and I think it's probably part of it is also that UFC marketing machine of showing Australia that I think gets me gets me fascinated of saying that's a place I'd love to go to. Is Russia part of Asia? No. Are Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty I'm, sure. I, is, is Russia in Europe? Let me see. Let me Google this. I would, I would say it's more Europe. Uh, yeah, I think it is Europe. Uh, it's confusing. Oh, okay. I just wanted to – Russia is part of both Europe and Asia. So that's confusing. So maybe the first Asian champion is from Europe, from, from Russia, not China. I, I just wanted to double check. I didn't want to be factually wrong. <laughs> I don't know, though. I really don't. It's confusing. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah. It's do you got any, any bucket list uh, travel places you want to go to? Um, Japan is number one. That'd be cool. Yeah, love Japan. I love uh, wrestling, which is big in Japan, and love you know I love the anime stuff. I don't love it like a hardcore amount, but I, I watched it growing up. And uh, yeah, Japan is up there. Um, I mean, I would love to to eat food in Italy. That sounds great. I just would love to go someplace that has some. Okay, honestly, real talk, I'll probably like go to those Egyptian pyramids. You know, okay. some of that stuff has been around for a long time. Where Indiana Jones is looking for treasure, I would love to see some of that. It seems like a pretty life changing situation. Yeah. Anything? Anything else for you other than Australia? North um, Korea up there. You want? I think Italy would be a would be one. I throw yeah. that there. Yeah. Germany. Germany was cool last year. Um, you know, the one thing about to me about traveling abroad is like, uh, the language barrier. 
that's always the yeah. the thought process. Yeah, so like a place like Ireland would be great, you know. Yeah, so, I, I, I think I'd fit right in Ireland. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't have a problem ordering a, a brewski. Yeah, you get get a pint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think England would be fine too. It's just. I mean, I think going to a soccer match in England would be. Oh great. God! I I, yeah, every time I, I've I've just it's not been there. I've I not had an opportunity, but yeah, I've been I've been to London four times now. Yeah, yeah four times, and uh, haven't had an opportunity. But oh God, I think that would be amazing to see a soccer match. I think that would be amazing. Yeah, that to me is a bucket list item is to see one of those matches, right? Or even in Spain and watch um, Real Madrid play Barcelona. Yeah, like, that's crazy. That would be that would be insane. Uh, I'll say this: like, watch one. I'm not huge on watching soccer on television, but I love going to a soccer match. Yeah, and I I, I think that would be so different than even a local soccer match you go to in Tampa. Like, yeah, I just really. I it, it's one of those things. I mean, and I, you do obviously a lot of sports broadcasting, and I just think that there's there's some sports that don't translate well from what between a, a live in arena experience, stadium experience to what we see on TV. Like I think TV takes a ton out of hockey. Oh yeah. Like hockey is a million times better in person. Like I'll tell people if go, if you have an opportunity to go to an NHL playoff game, do it. It's and look, I'm not like, I enjoy watching hockey, but like I'm not watching hockey all the time. A NHL playoff game is like no other. Yeah. Because it's just you're on the edge of your seat. A single score changes the game. The crowd's into it. You aren't distracted. It's great. And you are right. I'll never forget when it was Game 7, Lightning Flames in 2004. Greatest sporting event as a fan I've ever been to. What happened in that game? Lightning lightning 1-2-1. But I mean, literally, you're. I mean, last five minutes of the game, you're up one goal, and every yeah. time the opposing team takes a shot, you're on. It, it, it's nothing like it. Nothing like it. Yeah, bro. It's a. Uh, I've been to one Dallas Stars game, and uh, it was. It was just. A, it was great. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal time, and and I think soccer's that same situation where just one goal changes everything, and it's just yeah. But with hockey, the difference is they move the puck so fast between the two goals yeah. it's just you it changes in an instant you know a few seconds right it's yeah, crazy no, no doubt about it but we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast huge thanks to our sponsor sunday look in the show notes so you can take advantage of that offer they have for the mma report podcast listener and of course uh, be sure to check us out next week on the here on the midweek edition of course you can watch this show on youtube also you can check it out on the podcasting platforms of course uh, subscribe rate review all that that does help us out a ton as well so that's going to do it for this edition of the mma report podcast so you can check it out on all your favorite podcasting platforms radio Influence.com, the MMA Report.com, and the MMA Report YouTube channel.